morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. You know, I was thinking, um, as Pastor Jonas was talking about Trunkapalooza, um, that's just an, uh, an exciting thing that we offer here to build bridges to our community. I was thinking, you know, what, what could be a motivator? And um, Sam, our associate student director, um, I, I read that if they get 120 kids, if you need a Bible, slip a hand up, sorry guys. If they get 120 kids to go to fall retreat, he's gonna walk to Cooperstown. Is that right, Sam? 80 some miles, he's gonna walk to Cooperstown. Everybody, raise your hand, Sam, so everybody can know who you are. Yeah, yeah, so um, we're praying for that, right? 120 students, so here's what I was thinking. We normally get about 30 trunks uh, at our trunk of Palooza, which is phenomenal. If we get 100, okay, that's extreme. If we get 50 trunks, I will wear a Vikings jersey. <laughs> to trunk of Palooza, I will. And not one of these little skinny ones, you know, but I will wear a Vikings jersey at trunk of Palooza if we get 50 trunks signed up. So there's your challenge. Also sign up uh, for other things, ways to volunteer, bring candy. We need lots and lots of candy uh, to supply those trunks. We're in this series called Discipled. And today we're talking about regularly worshiping together with God's people. So glad that you are here this morning. Um, those who are joining us online, those in traditions at the 1045 service in the Kindred campus, different places, same church, worshiping the same God, studying the same scripture. <clears throat> The writer of Hebrews, uh, let me give you just a little bit of uh, backstory here, but the writer of Hebrews throughout the entire book is constantly comparing Jesus with other people and other things and other systems that are inferior. And the reminder for all of us is don't ever settle for anything less and that that Jesus is always greater. You see this throughout the book when the writer compares Jesus to people from the Old Testament or practices from the Old Testament. He's not necessarily saying those people or things are bad. He's just making a point that Jesus is infinitely better. He often uses words like better, greater, superior when comparing Jesus. So for example, in the nine chapters that are leading up to chapter 10, where we're gonna be this morning, Jesus is better, he's greater, he's more superior than the prophets, better than angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than the high priest, better than the tabernacle. So Jesus has given us access to the Father, therefore the tabernacle and the, and the sacrificial system of the Old Testament is no longer necessary. So listen, you can return your pigeons to the store. You don't need them. The Old Testament priesthood is not necessary. Jesus is our high priest who makes intercession for us. So keep in mind, the writer of Hebrews was writing to Hebrews, particularly minister to the Jewish believers who were regularly fighting against so much that was against them. They were being pulled so think of these believers, they were being pulled and tugged historically, emotionally, and traditionally back into a familiar system and practices. 
it's always easy to revert back to what is most familiar to us. When Jesus died on the cross once and for all, for, for all their sins, our sins, for all sins of all people of all time, the writer was recognizing the difficulty of making the shift away from familiar systems and practices to Jesus being enough. So all the things they once thought to be great, the prophets and Moses and angels and so on, were now only good when compared to the greatness of Jesus. You can see how difficult that that might have been. Like, wait, we we trusted in these things, in these people, and in the systems and practices, and now you're telling me that Jesus is greater than all of them. All this to say they were tempted to revert into a religious system instead of maintaining a relationship with Jesus. That was the tug that was happening. That was the pull, that was the tension. So like them, in many ways, it is easy for us to revert back to a religious system, to revert back to a religious mindset, all the while allowing our relationship with Christ to suffer. Religion involves activities that we do that we believe can make us right with God, make us right with others, while having a relationship with Jesus means we know we can never do anything to truly make ourselves right before God. God is way more pleased in his son than in our religious activity. So today's topic is regularly worshiping together with God's people. We're in this series, remember, discipled, the indicators of what does a person look like when they're discipled. And the reason the book of Hebrews and and the passage that we're looking at today resonates with all of us is because if we are not careful, even the gathering of God's people can become more about religion. And I'm using that word to describe primarily Sunday morning worship service when I use the word gathering, can become more about religion And when it becomes religion, we have completely missed the point. How do we know when the gathering becomes a religious activity at the expense of a relationship? A few ways. We show up to check a box. To feel good about ourselves. To make someone in our life happy that that wanted us to go to church. And to get the attention of God. Other ways, maybe our motive isn't worship. We don't show up to worship God and and desire this uh, amazing encounter with the living God. We show up to critique and people watch. Or maybe to give the outward appearance of a deep growing love with God. Or maybe to serve out a duty or, or to go through the motions or when we are in awe of other things and not God. Or when we leave, a worship service unaffected by the presence of God. A disciple is someone, remember from last week, who follows Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who lives committed to the mission of Jesus. So here we go. 
Because we have Jesus, verse 19 through 21, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. So he's kind of setting it up here. Because of these things, the curtain in the Old Testament temple separated the holy place from the most holy place, making it so n- no one could have access, a direct access to God. You had to go through a priest. And so verse 19 assures us we can now have confidence. Believer, you can have confidence knowing that we have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ. He has opened for us a new way. So in the same way, the veil um, or the curtain separated man from God in the Old Testament temple and it was torn, Jesus' body was torn. The crucifixion was the tearing of his body. He was whipped, he was scourged, nailed to a cross and pierced for our sins. Again, maybe just a, a little different way. But don't miss this amazing imagery. In the same way that the curtain that separated God from man was torn from top to bottom in the temple when Christ was crucified. Do you remember that? Jesus' body was torn for us so we can have direct access to God. This access is freely given to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Religion believes there is still a curtain that separates us from God. And so religion is doing things. Religion is being busy going through the motion in hopes that maybe God will peek around the curtain and see us doing all of our wonderful things. In a relationship with God, there is no curtain. Here's why all this matters, verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, in other words, since we now have direct access to God through Jesus, because of all that Christ has done, here's three things, because of all that Christ has done, number one, let us draw near to God, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So that's the first thing. Here's the reason why. Let us draw near to God. One of the biggest felt roadblocks to God is our own guilty conscience. Many run from God, avoid God, refuse to consider God because they feel guilty. Sometimes when a person is living in sin and their sin nature is on steroids, and we've all, we've all been there, right? They fail to slow things down enough to see it is their own guilt that is keeping them from experiencing their heart being sprinkled with the blood of Christ, which cleanses them from a guilty conscience. Sometimes, friends, in a religious system, we can allow guilt to have more influence and more power than Jesus himself. 
And so it is our very own guilt that can become the catalyst pointing us back to the safety of religion, keeping us believing that there's still a curtain and we are safe on this side of the curtain simply by being religious, by doing for God. So the enemy plays games, attempting to keep us trapped in our own guilt. By, by distracting us from the truth and freedom we can have through the cleansing of Christ's blood. It's important that we know and understand what is happening up here and in here. In fact, the evil one is so good, he has a way of helping us ignore and even forget about our guilt as we forge ahead in our sin. If guilt is the counterweight of sin, who wouldn't want to forget about it? Not that it ever goes away, but why dwell on it, right? Who wants to feel guilty every time they sin? We gather to draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. We cannot draw near to God when we think of our gathering as a religious activity and believing we can still hide behind a curtain that no longer exists. It's very twisted, isn't it? If I think about it too long, the guilt starts to surface and when the guilt surfaces, I convince myself I can't approach God because he'll be mad at me. After all, I've brought this to him so many times. The evil one keeps whispering in our head, you cannot be forgiven again. You've reached your limit for the day. And so we walk around riddled with guilt and shame. I remember um, a number of years ago, I met with a guy who was struggling with pornography. And I asked him, do you ever feel guilty? If so, what do you do about it? And the answer was revealing. He said, I don't usually feel guilty. And I thought to myself, there's one of a few things or reasons why. One, a person can be apathetic, like I just don't care anymore. Couldn't give a rip. Secondly, he has suppressed the guilt. Third, he's hiding behind a religious curtain where it's safe. Ecclesiastes 5.1 says, guard your steps when you come to the house of God. Go near to listen rather to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they're doing wrong. What is that saying? Go to the house of God prepared to encounter the presence of God. Bethel, I want you to hear this. And some of you won't even know what this language means and that's okay because I want to try to clarify it. Bethel is not a seeker sensitive church. We do not plan our services with seekers in mind. In fact, in my humble opinion, there's no such thing as a seeker because in Romans it says that no one seeks after God. 
If we were to call our gathering anything close, we might call it God-sensitive. For God and about God. When we focus on honoring God in our gathering, there is no need to worry about the seeker because God will do in each of our hearts only what he can do. A seeker service implies we can do just the right things, say the right things, and somehow miraculously people will fall on their face before God. Wow, we would, we would be really good. We'd be really powerful. God needs to be our primary focus. And as we gather, we want to be a church that worships God in spirit, as John says, and in truth. We want to be a church that worships God in spirit. That means this, a Holy Spirit awakening of God's beauty, his splendor, and his power. And in truth, meaning informed of who God is. The gathering should have nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. He is our target audience. Every aspect of our service should act as a road sign pointing us to God, offering a message of hope in Christ alone. We desire a gathering to invite an encounter with the living God, whether, whether a person is an unbeliever or a seasoned believer. That's what we desire. So why do we encourage people to regularly worship together with God's people? Because no longer do we have to hide behind a curtain. It has been shredded. We can now freely worship and draw near to God in the spirit and in truth together with other believers. So ask yourself, why do I come to church? Secondly, let us hold on tight. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold on to the hope we profess. Perseverance is remaining in what we know to be true and moving ahead towards Christ. Hope is the engine that leads to the train of perseverance. And hope is only as good as the source by which it is hitched to. So a couple camping illustrations, I have a hitch up here. Hope is only as good as the source it is hitched to. What are you finding your hope in? What, what are you hitching your life to, so to speak? Are, are you hitching to your bank account, your retirement, a relationship, your job? Is that where your hope is? What are you hitching your life to for hope that leads to perseverance? The New Testament in other places uses the phrase hold fast to speak of remaining true to doctrine. When, when you uh, pull a camper, um, or some people that pull a camper use what's called a weight distribution hitch, which is these bars you hook up between the hitch and the, and the, and the camper. And what it does is it, it forces the weight towards the front of the vehicle or it balances the weight between the back and the front. When I think about those, those bars and those weight distribution bars, I think of one being prayer and one being God's word. And how weight distribution takes it off the back and it pushes it towards the front. 
and our hope were hitched to Jesus Christ is where we find our perseverance. Or another way to say it is hold true to your confession. That's another way to say this. That which you believe to be true about God and that which you tell other people about God. In the early church, when they were converted and baptized, um, they as new Christians confessed what they believed about Jesus Christ. Now they are being encouraged here in this verse to hold on to that which they previously confessed. And that's what the writer is saying is, hey, you remember when you came to Christ, you confessed these things, you confessed the gospel. Remember what you believed back then. Even though you're being torn and and lured and and pulled back to a religious system and and to be comfortable, remember, don't forget. For us, it's saying the same thing. If you're a believer, you had to have understood the gospel message, that Jesus is the son of God, that he came to this earth, that he died on the cross for your sins, He was raised to new life and ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. To be a believer, you understood Christ to be torn like a curtain and who made a way for you to have a relationship with the Father. Hold on to those things. That. That is the hope that will lead you towards perseverance. Hitch yourself to that hope Perseverance will follow. When the guilt and the shame of your sin is heavy, our hope is in Christ, knowing there is no condemnation in Christ. How are we to hold on to hope? Unswervingly. So another piece of pulling a trailer or a camper is what's called a sway bar. And it just creates this tension enough to where the, the camper or the trailer behind you isn't doing this behind you, kind of going all over the place. And so he's saying, hold on to that hope unswervingly. Unlike the the early believers, we have the word of God that can anchor us to the truth and that can keep us grounded. We are reminded every day through the word of God, the hope that we have. I think that there's an invitation here for believers to practice transparency with other believers. A very good reason to be part of a life group. If you're not a part of a life group, we encourage everyone, uh, please check those out. Um, It's just this idea of doing life with other people and uh, to get to a place where you can be transparent and vulnerable with other people in your life. Do you have people in your life you can say, I feel down or I feel discouraged or I feel hopeless? or I'm weighted down with with guilt and shame, or I'm struggling. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And hope increases with discipline. How are you doing with the one minute challenge from last week? You remember, I kind of challenged you uh, one minute a day to set, kind of develop this habit of being in God's word and in prayer and and then I, I, for a week, just do that one minute every single day and, and, to, and to really kind of cement that, that habit. And then the next week, go to two minutes. And the next week, go to three minutes. How, how are you doing with that? Remember, hope is the engine that leads us in perseverance. What are you hoping in? And the reason we need to regularly worship together with God's people is because we collectively share the same hope engine and destination. Which brings me to the last let us 
The third one is let us spur one another on, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Part of the responsibility as the gathered church is to do what we can do to encourage other people, to encourage one another on um, to walk in love and to do good deeds. Good deeds are not proactive to say that they don't save us. Good deeds are reactive because we are saved. And this is the very reason that I am here. This is the very reason that you are here because God instructs us to be together. At Bethel, um, we have different venues and we have one other campus. We have a traditions venue that meets at 1045 in the FLC, and it's about 100 people. The folks who choose to attend that venue do so because they love a smaller, smaller gathering and they love being together. We have a venue in the foyer, you may not know that, over by the fireplace, it's about 50 people. It's a group of people who choose to sit with a smaller group of people and watch the service on a TV. We have a video venue campus in Kindred that meets every week at 10.30 in Kindred. It's about 100 people. I absolutely love the diversity and options. We are one church that meets in different locations. We also have a large online presence about 400 devices that represent 800 plus people using the national average. Bethel has been offering an online experience for many years, way before I got here. I've been asked to the question, what do I think about it? And what I would say it is, is this. It is good, speaking to the online community, it is good but not best. I'm not afraid to say that if you are local and able to get to either of the main campus or our kindred campus, there is biblical value in gathering in person with one of the expressions that we offer. If you are restricted or unable to get to one of the campuses for whatever reason, we love having you join us no matter where you're at. We have people that join us from all over uh, the United States and even around the world who may not have another evangelical option. Uh, Welcome, we love having you. We're so thankful that we have the technology to allow you to join us. Now, you guys here, just listen in for a second because I wanna talk to the people that are joining us online right now. You can see me. You may not know that I can also see you. We've installed little microscopic cameras in each of your devices. Some of you just got freaked out. Some of you are looking for that camera right now. That's okay. Some of you need to update your PJs. SpongeBob, really? Come on. I'm totally kidding. And because this is a recorded service, every lawyer in the room, I need you to listen very closely. I will say this publicly, we do not have installed any cameras on any devices, nor can I see anyone who is joining us. Rest easy, everyone who is joining us. But still check out your PJs, they mean to be updated. I will say again regarding the online gathering, it is good, but it is not best. 
If you can join us live, I encourage you to do so. There's something about being together with one of our gatherings that is very special. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. The one danger of the, of the internet and online only is that it can lead to isolation. And it can magnify for a person that's already maybe struggling with loneliness. Please don't let that happen. Make it a point to join us as often as you can. Some will say, do I really need to join a live gathering? I find, dude, I find God in the trees. I find God in the waterfalls. I find God in the rocks. I find God on the golf course. No, you don't. I've looked for God there. He's not there. But it's as God's people gather, we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The presence of God is multiplied when we are together. If you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, you are if you are a believer. If you're indwelled with the Spirit, I am indwelled with the Spirit, and we allow the Spirit of God to work in us and through us. The presence of God is experienced in a more powerful way. We stop hiding behind the curtain that no longer exists. And we say to the Holy Spirit instead, have your way in us. I will tell you about a theological um, issue that I'm still wrestling with in regards to the Holy Spirit. We all probably, uh, hopefully would agree that as a believer, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You're sealed in Christ through the Spirit. Romans 8 tells us to walk in the Spirit, live life in the Spirit, be Spirit-dependent. It's the gift that Jesus said. Just see, he said, hold on, the gift is coming, right? Amen for the Holy Spirit. The theological piece that I'm still wrestling with is when you come in the room and I come in the room and I'm indwelled with the Spirit and you're indwelled with the Spirit, we bring the Spirit into this room and we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. The piece that I'm still wrestling with is does the Holy Spirit also function outside of the indwelling of believers? I don't have an answer to that completely. But what I do know for sure is what the scripture teaches us about the indwelled Holy Spirit. And the fact that when you come in this room, the Holy Spirit is here. However, we can walk into this room and we can all quench the Holy Spirit. We can walk into this room apathetic, not caring, guilty, running from God, whatever it is. But if we come into this place, this place of worship, and we say, Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Have your way in us. Holy Spirit, show up. In almost every sphere of our lives, we do better in community than alone. For example, we're more likely to achieve fitness or health goals in like-minded community. For another, those in addiction recover are more likely to stay clean and sober in like-minded community. 
Business leaders gather in like-minded groups to stay focused on their goals. So it is with our spiritual growth, which also happens when we're in like-minded community. When we may not feel we have the strength to persevere on our own, that is when we need encouragement from others who give us strength through Christ. In addition to the encouragement we receive in community, we also gain a sense of place and purpose. We live in this hyper-individualistic culture that has largely rejected any notion that real purpose exists in this world. Belonging and purpose are two fundamental human needs. And in the church, we discover both. We also are needed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that as as a believer, you've been given a gift The Holy Spirit has given you a gift, has empowered you with a spiritual gift. And he says that the body comes together and you bring a certain gift and you bring a certain gift and I bring a certain gift and together we make this incredible, this amazing puzzle that God is is building. And no one has the right to say, hey, you're an I, I'm an R, you shouldn't even be here. We don't even need you. No one has the right to say that, Paul says. But you have a gift that makes this body complete. Imagine a church that is made up of people who are the real deal. People who genuinely love God, love others, and serve the world. Imagine a church filled with people who who can just be themselves. No one needs to be fake, nothing to prove, no need to try and fool people, no need to pretend, no need to put on a, a fake smile and act as though there is no place you'd rather be than here. Imagine a church filled with people who genuinely care for one another, a community of people who refuse to judge and show favoritism, a community of people who have learned to get over themselves and look to the needs of others, a group of people who really are interested in you and not just their own needs. Imagine a church who values healthy relationships so much that they are willing to treat others as Christ would. Imagine a church where you are spurred on towards love and good deeds. Let's be that church that church. Let me leave you with one thing. God designed the gathered church as an embassy to bring the values of God's homeland into a foreign territory. Make it a priority to regularly worship together with God's people. Father, thank you for um, this morning and thank you Lord for the power of your word and thank you Lord that we don't have to just make all this up Lord that you teach us and you equip us and you build us and you shape us God I am so humbled to be a part of your church to lead this church and I'm so thankful for every person that walks through these doors all the different stories that are represented, all in different places. Some are still wondering, is there a God? Holy Spirit, would you, would you minister to them? Would you reveal to them? Would you awaken them? Some are new believers. Lord, may we come alongside each other and help each other grow. Some are seasoned believers. And even for seasoned believers that have been walking with Christ for so many years, it is easy to just numb out. It is almost easy to go back to a religious system of just doing what we need to do. And we've stopped experiencing the presence, your presence, your power. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for meeting us in this place, for changing our hearts, for opening our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.